0: You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Okay, good morning, everybody. My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors. I'm really glad that you're here. Um, Let me tell you what we're going to be doing really today, but even over over the next few weeks, is we're going to do a short series um, called Scent. And a lot of it's the idea of it is is imagine or think to how we tend to conclude our services. If this is your first time today, you haven't heard that, so I'm sure you'll be waiting with great anticipation. But what we do, it's really kind of strange and unorthodox if you think about it, is we read a benediction together. And then um, whoever is closing out the service, usually Kenan or Sarah, but sometimes other people, will say, Redeemer, you are sent is how the service concludes, which is really weird because you don't go to a Texas Tech football game and then you sing the Matador song. And then uh, at the very end of it, you know, the the person on the PA says, all right, Red Raider fans, you are sent. Like, what would that even mean? You know? And so uh, it's kind of different, but uh, it, a lot of it is built around this idea of um, how we see in the Bible of what this Bible says we ought to be, what the church should be, what we ought to be individually and let that define us. And we, we do see a y'all come element in the Bible, but we, we see just as much of a y'all come as, as a go, that there are these rhythms of gathering, and we gather like you're doing right now, and then, and then we scatter, into our daily life. And then we gather again, maybe in a gospel community where you're gathering. It's what we call our small groups where you gather and you know in, in deep community, and then you scatter. And then you might gather around coffee with a friend that you're helping to grow, and they're helping you to grow, and you're supporting each other, and so on and so forth. Gather, scatter, gather, scatter. And you're sent as God's, as God's people. And so specifically today, we're going to be talking about being sent into your vocation. And I feel like I need to define vocation a little bit because a vocation is, it's what you do um, with your, your day. For most of you, it's something that's gonna show up on a W-2. So it's, uh, this is what you do for a job. You're, uh, you know, a corporate tax attorney. You are a school teacher. You are like, you, you've got a job, but that isn't the only thing. So it could be also your vocation is what you do with your time. Could be stay-at-home mom, could be student, could be retiree, could even be unemployed. Um, if you've ever had the great joy of being unemployed, um, you know that it's actually a lot more stressful and more work than actually being employed because you're filling out applications, getting your resume tightened up, doing interviews, so on and so forth. Like that, that really probably is your vocation is what you're you're looking at the job you're looking for. So I tend to see two major flaws in how people tend to approach their vocation. And we usually end up with a tendency towards one of these two. One flaw is that a lot of us have um, like a work is my identity kind of a perspective, and it's a winner-take-all, um, you know, that you're keeping score, and uh, you're not really sure what the end zone is and, like, what would be success, but it's just constantly being the best at what you do, and uh, there's not really another part of your life. You're on vacations, you're on your phone, closing deals, whatever whatever kind of job you've got, that there's not, a, it's hard for you to have an off switch. You're just constantly accumulating more, get, you know, investing more, um, and, and being, trying to be as good as you can at what you do. A Very strong work ethic. Um, the other, the other person tends to, and by the way, in West Texas, there's a real high value on that. Um, that, that usually like one of the worst things that can happen is you're talking to a couple of middle-aged dads and be like, Oh man, here your daughter's seen a guy, you know, getting pretty serious. Yeah. You would kind of wonder, well, tell me about him. Oh, he's a nice guy. I mean, he didn't, not really like to work much, but, uh, I mean, it's like the worst thing you can say. Like, it's like, there doesn't get any worse than that, you know? And so, um, but, yeah, there's a, a, um, a strong value in this component here. Uh, the, the other kind of person, it's like on the other end of the spectrum, they don't struggle with any of that. And, like, t- to them, like, man, it is just a means to an end. Like, they're living for the weekends, and so they're going to do a job. They know they've got to get paid to pay bills and to get the basics and really even to fund the things that they do like. But it is just a means to an end, and they're going to do, you know, cut corners, that spend most of your time trying to project to bosses and customers and people that you are working hard and doing high-quality work more so than actually doing the high-quality work, right? It's, it's a projection of, of those kinds of things. And so you have these two, two diff- very different perspectives of kind of an eye roll. If you have any team-building exercise going, oh, my gosh, this is the dumbest thing ever. Nobody cares. Just send me my paycheck, buddy, you know, that kind of thing. All right, so you have these two different things, and, and I think that what we're going to see today is a different vision for what would happen... If the thing that you do, think about this, half of your waking moments are doing this thing, half of them of the time you're awake, and for a lot of us, we're like, man, you, you, a lot of us probably think the only people that get to do spiritual work are people like me or maybe missionaries or something like that. It's like, man, I'm just getting paid. It's just my job, and the only spiritual activities are, are something like this right now, maybe Bible reading, maybe Bible reading, but everything else is like, man, it's just, it's just life. It's just work, but what happens if we could reclaim it and if we could be God's sent ones in everyday life? So that's what we're going to do. Uh, so let's start with, um, I've got Five points that we're going to walk through on the Bible's take on vocation and work. Um, so let's just run through these things. First one is that we work for Jesus. We work for Jesus. So look at—I want you to have that. Think about that phrase as you look at Colossians three, which is the passage that was read earlier. Uh, bond servants. So this would be people that are even, you know, indentured servants. So, but I think you could imply um, here even, you know, just employees. Um, it says bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. So in other words, like you know, do the things your bosses and supervisors are asking you to do, provided that they're ethical and whatnot. Um, listen to this. Not by the way as eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, the heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Again, you are serving the Lord Christ. And so I love this, that um, this is saying that at the end of the day, yes, you have a boss. You have a boss that's asking things of you and saying, Hey, this is what we need. I need you to do this. And here's the objective. Or you're like, no, nah, man, I've got my own business. Okay, fine. You've got customers you work for and they have expectations for you. And they say, I need these following things done. But ultimately, and yes, you want to do those things. I mean, even says that. Like, yes, like d- do what they say and do it willingly, but that's not the end game. The end game is not just hitting your marks so that people say, okay, you did what you're supposed to do. But at a deeper level, you're doing it for Jesus, which means that we work for Jesus ultimately for the Christian worker. When you do what you do, and again, you could be a stay-at-home mom and you're Ubering kids around to everywhere in the world. Doesn't matter what your vocation is. You're preparing a profit and loss statement, your know, balance sheet. Doesn't matter what those things are. And you're thinking, that's, not spiritual activity. I'm bagging groceries. I'm doing, I'm doing whatever it is that I'm doing. I'm studying for finals. But every one of these things is an opportunity to work for Jesus, that it's an opportunity for worship. And you think about what this means. The reformers, uh, particularly Calvin and Luther, were like really good on this topic. And they made this case that the person that is sweeping the streets, if they're doing it unto the Lord, Like that what they're doing is worship towards Jesus is just as spiritual of an activity as my preparation and delivery of the sermon. Isn't that something? Like it is just as pleasing to the Lord, has potentially maybe just as much impact uh, because of who you're doing it for. It's an opportunity to connect with God. You're able to reclaim every single hour of your week that it could be for Jesus, the things you're doing, and not just because the things that need to be done and because you need to be paid. Incredible. Uh, Now, I just want to say just as a quick little aside, just a quick mention of this, that um, I don't know that I would exactly say that it's necessarily following your passions. That's almost always the advice given to young people at like every high school and college graduation. You know, somebody said, hey, I know you've sunk, you know, 150 grand into this degree. However, none of that really matters. Um, you need to go follow your passion. And you're like, What? Why did I just spend all this money? Uh, you know that um, that follow. I mean, it's great if you could follow your passion in your work. Um, some of you get to do it, but I'm not sure the corporate uh, tax person um, at 18 is like. You know, I mean, what you do is, is you, you find, you find a niche and like, I even have a good friend in business that I I started a lot of businesses and I love his perspective. And he was giving advice to my oldest kid and said, Hey, here's what I would do. If I moved into a community, I would find out whatever the gaps were in that community. And maybe that, um, Things are backed up and you can't get to a plumber. See what I did there? And um, like for several months and like there's not enough plumbers in the community or maybe something with landscaping and lawn service. And even if you don't know anything about that industry, uh, that specific thing where you see a gap in a community, go, you start a business that would fit that gap, even whether you're passionate about it or not, it's kind of irrelevant and and fit in that gap. And that's even, we'll even get into this in a second of the the mutual helpfulness of vocation. But, um, But I don't know that you necessarily have to be passionate about it. It's not really the point, is that you you can develop a passion and some expertise as you go for it, but you have a chance, whether you even love that thing or not, you may not love the balance sheet um, or the profit and loss statements, but you can do that for Jesus and do a good job on that. All right, so we work for Jesus. Number two, um, God cares for his world through us, all right? God cares for his world through us. So look at this in Matthew 6, Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And listen to this request. Give us today our daily bread. I love that. Uh, He's saying, you're actually encouraged to pray for your daily provisions, what you need uh, for food, clothing, shelter, relationships, emotions, those kind of things. Say, Lord, would you provide for me? Now, here's the thing. My case I'm going to make is that um, the main way that God answers that prayer for God, give me today what I need, my daily bread, the main way that God answers that prayer is through vocation and what we do with our life, that these things end up benefiting one another and fill in gaps of things that we need in different ways. I'm going to give you an example. Like, So let's say you need a shirt to wear, which we all do. Every one of us in here is clothed. And so here's, I'm just throw this graphic up, and there's more to it than this. Of so that shirt that you're wearing, let's say it's cotton, um, that all that goes into it. So like, there's even more than that's on this graphic. So like, we have people at this church that do seed research for what kind of seed, would uh, be best in areas, for instance, that it doesn't really rain, you know, just for instance. And um, and then you're going to need, see, I have a friend that's a seed wholesaler that he sells um, cotton seed in bulk, to retail outlets, and you're going to need a retailer that's going to sell that cotton seed. And the same thing with fertilizer to a cotton farmer. That cotton farmer is going to plant the seed. You're going to need at this point, once you start getting into planting and harvesting, you're going to need you're going to need hardware. You're going to need you're going to need machinery. And somebody's going to need an engineer is going to need to design that machinery. And somebody's going to need to somebody's going to need again a retailer and a retail outlet that's going to sell that machinery to a farmer and even support it. Same thing with irrigation. You're going to need a center pivot um, sprinkler or, or a drip uh, drip irrigation and somebody that can help support it and help that farmer know how to use it and optimize it. And then, uh, and then that farmer is going to need to get that stuff out of the ground and strip the cotton and then you're going to need a, a gin and somebody's going to have to insure that gin and somebody's going to have to insure the crops. You're going to need an insurance agent and underwriters and then, and then that, that stuff is going to be the co-op is going to negotiate deals a lot of times, sometimes with even foreign buyers, international buyers and Arrange prices and negotiate, and then it's going to need to be transported. You're going to have to pay truckers, and then and then in the meantime, I can think of um, one of our members in the past from two or three years ago. That Kelsey moves to Manhattan, and she's a clothing designer, and she moves there, and she designs that shirt that you're wearing. And you're like, Nah, man, mine's Carhartt. Okay, well, fine. Um, that she designed probably did design your Carhartt shirt, all right. And then those are going to get made in a factory somewhere in bulk again, wholesale, sold to retail outlets. You're going to have have a a college student that's working part-time at Tractor Supply or, or Banana Republic, whatever you know, and and you are going to go there and buy buy that shirt from that retail outlet. All these things, and so you think about a portion of that 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 money that you paid at that store for that shirt went to the seed researcher and wholesaler and fertilizer fertilizer person, insurance agent, the engineer, um, the the uh, tractor salesperson, the truck driver, uh, the designer in Manhattan. Like little portions of this that y- your your money that you worked for through your vocation was used to buy that. All of their contributions gave you that shirt. You said, Lord, give me this daily, uh, today this daily bread. This was God's means of this. All of these people contributed small slices that helped you put that shirt on your back, which I think is, is really neat. And, and I think it can be, um, it's fair to say, that Christians and non-Christians alike can contribute in a beautiful way. That should be affirmed. So um, a Christian and non-Christian pilot can both take off and land safely. And we, we get there um, in a timely manner, hopefully, um, and in one piece. And so the humanity, uh, you don't have to be a Christian to um, contribute something in a, in a way, and that's by God's design. And I think that's, that's a neat thing. Number three, um, number three here, so we work for Jesus, and um, the second component is that God cares for our world through vocation. Um, Um, through what it is that we do, is that our Christian faith shapes the way that we view our work. Um, So uh, Romans 12, we'll get there in about a couple of months. Uh, Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to this world in verse two, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect. So um, through Jesus's death and resurrection, and then even the Holy spirit that's been given to us and God's truth in the scripture, he actually shapes how we think about our world and it changes how we view everything. And even causes you to reflect on how it is that you do whatever it is that you do with your days. So I'll give you one example, but there could be, I mean, truly, I hope there are, you know, a couple thousand today of examples of this that emerge is um, imagine a physician that has a private practice. And um, they they're trying to care for patients, but then through the quality work of an accountant, they see their profit and loss statement at year end, and they're like, "Ooh!" And as cases with many people in healthcare, things have tightened up a little bit, and um, that that it's less profitable than it has been in years past. And somebody raises the suggestion of, "Well, maybe we cannot accept uh, patients with Medicaid uh, because their reimbursement rates are lower, and that kind of thing." and this person. Now, I'm not saying that every Christian person would see it this way. I'm just giving you an example of someone whose mind has been shaped and formed uh, by God's promises is they're like, yeah, but profitability isn't my bottom line. This isn't who it is that I am. Remember, like I've got an identity outside of this uh, that that we'll talk about in just a moment and um, that that the reason I got into medicine in the first place is to help people and including people that um, require government assistance um, through their reimbursements as well as fully funded, you know, fully insured uh, patients as well. And so even though it is going to make us less profitable, um, this is the kind of work I want to do. And that's been formed because of the promises of God in them. And that'd be an example of something that a Christian person might do because their Christian faith shapes how they view their work. Number four, um, work is important, but it's not our identity. And we've been dancing all around this one, uh, uh, but I think it's important just to say this one clearly. Look at this in Romans 8, 15, and 16. We'll be here in like three Sundays, and I can't wait. Um, Romans 8 is incredible. Maybe my favorite chapter in the whole Bible Um, says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, this is true for every Christian, have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What this means is, this is my hope, is that uh, if you're like, say you're not a Christian today and you've been just listening, you're like, this is kind of interesting. This is not what I thought you'd be talking about today. Well, here's the thing. I'm hoping that like this conversation of work would make you curious and almost go back door into like the, f- the foundational element of all of this is that um, who it is that a Christian is at the deepest level is not corporate tax attorney, um, you know, accountant, Uber driver, stay-at-home mom football coach, whatever. That isn't the deepest level of who it is that you are. The deepest level of who it is that you are is Christian, son, daughter of God, purchased by Jesus's death and resurrection. That's who it is that you are. You do this job but who you are um, is something else and something different. And by the way, sometimes we, we don't really realize how much of our identity we've built into our, uh, our vocation. It might even be like skilled athlete or whatever. Um, like I've been fired from a job before. And sometimes you don't realize how much you've done of that kind of thing until you, something has failed. You've either been let go, something that you've tried has not succeeded. And then, I mean, it can almost send you into a major tailspin of like, who even am I? What am I? If, if this thing hasn't succeeded in the way um, that I thought that it would. Um, and, and this can be a gift to you. And you don't necessarily have to go through a major failure before you realize, oh gosh, I need to find my identity. And this really pushes against that person that tends to the win at all costs. I've got to succeed. This is who I am. And I'm keeping score, even though I don't know what the, uh, you know, what the finish line is here, is this is a helpful corrective to say, man, no, go do a good job. Keep that strong work ethic. Continue to bring good value in what you do, but this isn't who you are. Like, you are loved by God. Like, you can't even lose. I mean, it's really incredible. The unconditional love that you have access to, you're not free to do good work, but you don't have to compulsively do it where you can't even turn it off um, because you've been loved by God. Number five, and finally. Money is necessary, but it's a terrible savior. So the reason I mentioned money is um, elephant in the room, especially to that person that's like, look, I'm working because I got to work. It's just part of the deal. I got to work so I can pay bills and do the stuff I like to do. Um, That a lot of us, they're like, the whole reason we're working, you know, is to get paid, right? So we can take care of the things that we need to do. Um, So look, money is necessary, But man, whenever we make it a savior and you can do it when you don't have enough of it and you think if you had more of it, then everything would be great. That's one way to do it. Um, The other way you can do it is you've got a lot of it, but you just continue to accumulate more, more investments, more deals, more profitable business. And it's just like this race to nowhere that we're not really sure what's, what's on it. Is I think it's just really important. Jesus warned us about this: is that there there's something toxic that happens when we love money, and um, fortunately, God's given us an incredible weapon uh, towards this. Is because almost all of us in here are going to make money, and then we're going to you know then we're going to spend money. Is one of the incredible weapons that God has given us to attack the root of this issue is generosity. Is that when we have resources and then we release them for kingdom expansion, for the meeting of needs, for things like that, we release something that we really would like to hold on to, whether we're keeping score or um, things that we want to buy or whatever it is, that we release those things. There's a beautiful thing that God does internally, spiritually in us when we release these resources. Okay, so I mean, just as an aside too, um, that work actually came into being before sin. So if you're like, well, I mean, we all messed up and Adam and Eve and all that, you know, and that's why we've got to work. They were working the earth before sin entered the world. So there's this beautiful uh, purpose of of work that we're trying to recover here. That we'll probably work in heaven the whole bit, you know. So, all right, um, I love this topic and I'm, it excites me to think about it. So let me give you a, a few tips also on. I think it's important to say that that we are going to have some opportunities as Christian people to speak good news of Jesus to people that are in your circles um, at work and um, with whatever it is you do vocationally that you're gonna have some unique access to that I don't. And so I wanted to offer a few things there and then we're gonna conclude with a couple of like case studies. Imaginary case studies um, is a conclusion. So here's a a few things. Number one, uh, being bad at what you do can limit opportunities to share the gospel. Um, I'm gonna go and tell you number two because it's the contrast. It's the flip side of that coin is being excellent at what you do um, can do the opposite. It can generate interest um, into what motivates you. These two things can happen. So um, for instance, um, um, that you're a college student and you're doing a group project. I mean, I hated the group projects back in the day. And um, you know, there's always gonna be a person in there that's overachiever that likes to boss everybody around. And there's always the person that's like, look, y'all just do it all. I'll just be here if y'all need me. And so imagine this group project person and everybody's got to contribute. And then you're waiting on them to get their one piece done. The only thing you even needed from them so that you can finish out all the other report and everything you're doing. And you don't do that. Don't come to class. Don't take it seriously or you're um, in a work situation and, um, you know, you you do the bare minimum. Everybody knows that there's a lot of eyewash where you're trying to do the things so that the bosses and the employers and the coach think that you work hard, but you don't really, and you talk about people and you talk about the bosses. Everybody knows it. Like whenever you're that person and um, you uh, corner everybody and say, hey, if you were to die tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? look, here's the thing, ain't anybody interested in your perspective on heaven or God or politics or football or anything else? Like, no, nobody cares. Like, the, like, your mouth is moving, but you're, you're turning the volume down on people that, that don't work hard and don't do good work. You just do. And the same thing is, is now, I, I, it's not necessarily that someone that does high-quality work that um, you're like, what must I do to be saved? I'm not saying that. But um, that somebody that that, um, has a different center point, like you can just tell their identity is somewhere else, they do high quality work, they care about it, they care about the craftsmanship of whatever it is that they do, whatever service or product that they do, that, um, that that person like, there 's a good chance that there could be some open doors of like man i 'm just so curious about you, you there 's something that 's different even if i can 't put my finger on it and um, and even even in the quality of work and the camaraderie there there are doors that that can oftentimes open not all the time, but a lot of times. Number three, um, working hard um, can be a worshipful, um a worshipful part of of what it is that we do um, it 's not exactly the same as the gospel message, and that 's important because um, um, that um, the, the gospel message is the hope of what Jesus has done through the cross and resurrection, but um, it can be worshipful. Um, it can be, um, it can also be a, a sign of God's grace alive in you. And think about it. If you have all these things at work in you, I've got a new identity as a son and daughter. I'm working for him, not ultimately for you, even though I do want to do what you say and what you're asking of me, my motivation goes deeper than that. I'm going to, go, I'm going to go beyond that. Even things you don't ask me to do, I'm going to try to do those things because I see gaps um, that it could be fruit alive in you, even if people can't connect all the dots around you. I think it's just a beautiful thing. And number four, um, as we share our faith, we're looking expectantly uh, for opportune moments to share the good news of Jesus in what we do. So specifically, you're the stay-at-home mom, you, you, the playground at three o'clock, I'm never going to be at, ever. Like that is just not a place I'm going to be with the age of my kids and what it is that I do, but you're there, with those moms. That, that's you. You're there. And your sorority house, I'm not there. That'd be creepy. Um, but you're there. And um, and then, you know, with a group of retirees that you hang out with, that, like that. those people you have access to. And the, like, it may not be appropriate in the middle of your class if you're a school teacher to say, you know, at a public school to say, hey, um, students, I need to tell you something about the hope I have in Jesus. That wouldn't probably be the time or the place for that, but you, you met, never know with um, other faculty at the teacher's lounge and in between classes and somebody that's going through a divorce and on and on. I mean, like you start thinking there are opportunities for you bringing people here. We have people all the time that bring their friends and neighbors here. Um, Just a beautiful thing. So I want to conclude with a couple of like case studies. Um, Just imaginary, hypothetical, no people were damaged in the the, uh, telling of these illustrations. All right, so imagine you've got two people that work at a coffee shop. There are baristas there. And neither of these people imagines themselves long-term in the coffee industry. You know, they like a cup of coffee like anybody else, but they're not passionate necessarily about coffee, you know. And, um, but they, you know, they need a part-time job, so they're working there, right? And uh, you got one person that, man, they don't care. I mean, they need the money. But they don't care, and they eye roll all the the very eager other employees that care about the temperature of the water and all that stuff. And in fact, they're always kind of in the back um, getting something. You're like, man, where where did they go? And they're just they're almost always gone, and nobody really knows where they were. Um, sometimes rude to customers. Um, sometimes if a customer asks for a drink that takes a lot of moving parts to to make and some time, they'll say that they're out. You know, they're out of those things, and um, you know they. They cut corners at almost every turn, all right? So you've got that person. And you got somebody else. That, again, they're not necessarily passionate about coffee, but they've looked up some things on YouTube and learned how to, how to froth the milk just right and um, get you know, things at the right temperature and looked at some of the science of it all and actually really care about even the art of the presentation of it all. And they've built relationships, not only with other coworkers, but um, even a lot of the regulars that they know them by name and ask how things are going and have taken a personal interest in them. And um, so here's the thing. <laughs> (laughs) let me ask you this. You're the employer. Which of those two people do you want to hire? Never mind. I already know the answer to that. All right. So let me ask a different question. Um, um, So which person would you be kind of curious after working with them for six months? What motivates them? Which person do you want to know kind of what makes them tick? Uh, Which person are you much more likely just to tune out no matter what hot take they've got on Politics, God, football, again, whatever. Which person are you likely to t- tune out on these topics? Again, I think I even know the answer to that one as well. Um, that, that there's just a closed door um, and even a, a question of like, value to the overall team and even toxicity to the team. Let me give you another example people that are doing what they really want to do for their life. So imagine two football coaches or basketball coaches, doesn't really matter. And uh, both are very good at what they do. I mean, they, they take their teams a long way almost every year. They maximize whatever talent they've, they've got. They've done it at every place they've ever been along the way, from middle school to coaching a small school. Now they're at a big school, whatever the case is. And they've done a good job. And they both had a good team. They both lose a playoff game that was a tough one, a really tough loss to digest. Both are, are like super down about the loss. And both are second-guessing play calls, inbounds, whatever, whatever the sport they're doing. And so they both took it hard. They both had high hopes. They put a lot into it. All right, so there's that. But one of these coaches is kind of the win-at-all-cost, that this is their identity. This person is despondent, that they, they don't want to talk to their spouse. Um, they, um, there's kind of a little bit of a blame element to some of the other coaches, even some of the athletes, um, that, that they, they just can't be wrong and flawed. And so they either are like super dark or shifting of blame. It's hard for them to even ask questions about like, what can we do better? What can we improve on our off-season plan? And is there anything we need to change in terms of scheme or development or anything else? Like if they can't even really ask these questions because it's too painful because what happens if if this was on me? Can I even live with me if this really was on me? And so um, a despondent, won't hardly talk with spouse. Um, Imagine this other coach, again, they're down, like they took the loss hard and they're reviewing some of their own play calls and everything else and they've taken the loss hard. But for them, because their identity is placed somewhere else, they care about these athletes, they care about winning for sure. That's the job. They've thrown their whole soul into it. But uh, because it's not their ultimate identity, um, they are free. They're Free to actually ask some tough questions about themselves, their staff, and how they did things, and what went well and what went wrong, and they're able to take a more objective look and and even consoling athletes and coaches that took the loss hard, and they're they're taking care of them, and they are serving these people who are also super disappointed and doing all the things that a good leader should because they're free. They're free to even be wrong. They're free to make mistakes uh, because they are uh, a son, because they are a daughter of God, loved by God. Because of Jesus. Okay, let me ask you this. Something's went really wrong in your life. Um, You've been successfully sober for a while, but you had a setback. Um, you are um, just were abandoned. You are going through a divorce. Something, something's wrong. You're at a real crossroads and you don't know what to do. You're very confused. Which of these two coaches do you want to take for breakfast to ask for their opinion on how to handle this setback or this major question mark in your life? Again, I think I know the answer to that. So here's the thing. Here's the reason why I say all these things. The how we do and the why we do what we do matters a lot. And imagine this. Instead of there being like 25 people at Redeemer Lubbock that are like doing spiritual work, imagine if there's roughly 1,500 of us today as God sent ones that go into the spaces while you're watching your grandkids, I'm not there, I'm not in that house, in those circles, that as you go to your places of business, as you go do the things that you do with your life, imagine the impact, 1,500 that are, are guided by God into the places where he has sent you. Imagine the impact of what God would do. Imagine um, the, the gospel words that are spoken. Imagine the quality of work. Um, I would like to think that some of our people, because we're motivated by God, would be some of the very best employees, even more employable because of your faith in Jesus, even though that isn't the reason for it, because it's so other-centered, because it's God-centered. And that is my deep hope. And even you can reclaim what it is you're doing with half of your awake moments, that it could become a spiritual activity for you. That is really, really exciting to me. So I'm gonna pray. Lord, would you uh, let this be true, that whether someone works for the church or works for the coffee shop, um, works for a school, works anywhere, that it would be worshipful towards you, work done towards you. Lord, let it be, and let there be impact and even uh, mission that would flow out uh, towards our neighbor in this city. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.